It's good to be with you guys this morning. Happy Easter. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Tony. It's just a pleasure to be with you. You know, throughout church history, uh, people have gathered on Easter Sunday, and they've often done this call and response thing, where the person on the stage says, he is risen, and then the group says, he is risen indeed. Let's do it one more time. And kids, if you're in this room, I want to hear your voices above everyone else's. Ready? He is risen. Kids, I don't think that was quite loud enough. Um, I don't know. I, I think I want to hear a little more, okay? He is risen. Kids, they're satisfied, but I'm definitely not. I got to hear more. Ready? One, two, three, right? He is risen. Okay, that was a little better. Thank you. Thank you. The first time you got to yell in church. Yes, best Sunday ever. All right, if you're a kid and you want to hang out with some other kids, your teachers are right over there. They would love to hang out with you. Feel free to go hang out with other kids. That's going to be epic, awesome, super fun. If you are an adult and you're stuck with me, welcome. Um, If you're new, visiting, checking us out, we are just glad to be here with you. Just good to be here on Easter Sunday. It's not too freezing. The wind blowing through the windows isn't icing your back. It's good to be here. Now, I want to be honest. It found a little tricky preparing for this message. On the one hand, I want to come in and I want to be like, yes, Easter, you know, like let's do like a hope and like celebration, resurrection, conga line around the church. Like how cool is it? And I also recognize, I think for some of us coming in this room today, watching at home, like we've gotten our hopes up a lot this year. I was talking with someone, uh, her name's Angie Pack. I was talking with her last week. And we're just talking about all the ups and downs of this last year. How many times like we got excited for the next thing and we're like, yes, only to be disappointed a week or two later. And that makes sort of Easter this year a little tricky. It's like, I want us to be hopeful and we'll get there. I asked Angie Pack, right, who I talked with a couple weeks ago to share some of her, what she shared with me, with you guys this morning. Let's listen to what she has to say. Just over a year ago in mid-March, we were given our first instructions to stay home because of COVID-19. We were told that if we made the sacrifice of staying home for just two weeks, we could flatten the curve of virus transmission and keep our healthcare system from critical overwhelm. Two weeks seemed like a sacrifice. I had two and a half week old twins and my two oldest school aged children had been sent home. And the understanding was that school would reopen by the beginning of April. I was banking on our older kids being in school for my survival of the newborn period. But I felt like maybe I could limp along for two weeks with all of my kids home for the greater good of society and our healthcare system. But we know how that story ended. We'd hoped that we'd be only be out of school and work and normal life for two weeks. When two weeks came and went, virus transmission worsened. Death rates in New York and Italy skyrocketed and stay-at-home orders extended. We bought extra toilet paper and continued to hope anyway. 
Surely by summer 2020, things will be normal again, is what I thought. Nope. Oh, there's no way that schools won't be reopened by the fall. My business is struggling, but there's no way the pandemic will still be going on by X date. We can make it, many said. But if we had known a year ago that two weeks would turn into 54 weeks and counting, and that over 500,000 Americans would have died a year after those initial lockdowns, I think we might have crumbled under the weight of it. Over a year later, I am utterly exhausted from crushed hope. Now the vaccine rollout is well underway and cases and deaths nationwide have plummeted. Our hope that the pandemic might really be coming to an end could be justified. But I find myself, even a self-identified relentless optimist, wary of hoping yet again. The pandemic has been rough. I'm desperate for normal social relationships. Some days I feel like I might break from loneliness. I ache for schools to be open. I long for sure knowledge that another spike of cases and deaths and heartbreak might not be looming around the corner. But I am afraid to get my hopes up again. She ends with, right, I am afraid to get my hopes up yet again. Right? How many times this last year have we gotten our hopes up only to be disappointed or, right, this new word that everyone uses, right, pivot for the 10,000th time? Now, you might be wondering, like, Tony, this is Easter. Why are you such a downer, you know? Like, isn't this supposed to be like, super happy songs, and we're all smiling and high-fiving and giving each other chest bumps and like, yay! But the truth is, when we actually go back to the Gospels, that first Sunday that Jesus is raised from the dead, right? yes, it is world-changing, yes, it is life-changing, but sometimes I don't think we pay enough attention to the simple fact that the disciples don't get overly joyous and hopeful immediately. In fact, on Easter morning, or by Easter afternoon, the disciples are locked in a room afraid. And yes, this is after they hear the news of Jesus' resurrection, right? They've been told by Mary, Jesus had been raised from the dead, right? But they hadn't really believed it. We have to remember, right, they had gotten their hopes up. They had thought Jesus was going to change the world as he was changing their lives. They were so excited, so full of hope, and then out of nowhere, within 24 hours, he is arrested, tortured, crucified, and their hopes die with him. On Easter Sunday, having already received the Easter declaration of Jesus' resurrection, they still remain locked in a room, terrified. This is how John sets the scene on that first Sunday. The disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders. This is Easter.
the disciples are afraid. They're not buoyed by uplifting Easter songs. And I think the truth is, after our last year, many of us get it, right? Who hasn't this last year been trapped or felt trapped indoors with a sense of fear, anxiety, or frustration? A few weeks ago, someone's like, Tony, guess what? A few days after Easter, we're going to be in the orange. And I'm like, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) I am not getting my hopes up again. Now, the most amazing thing about Easter Sunday is that Jesus is raised from the grave by the power of God. Amen, hallelujah, yes. The second most amazing thing is how Jesus interacts with terrified disciples in the upper room after he's been raised from the grave. This is how John tells the story. Verse 19, chapter 20. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples are overjoyed by what they saw. This is Easter afternoon. In their moment of fear, the risen Jesus shows up. Now, in the first century, to say, peace be with you or shalom, right, is a normal greeting. But in this moment, the disciples are anxious. They're afraid. They're stressed out. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't say, what's your problem? I was raised from the grave and you can't unlock the door? Instead, he offers them peace. He doesn't remind them of three days ago when Peter says, I don't even know you and all the other disciples abandon him. He draws near to them the peace and presence of God and he offers it to them. And clearly, the disciples' fear is deeply connected to their doubt, right? Their lack of hope, right? This is why Jesus is like showing them his hands and his side. The disciples are clearly thinking in their heads, like, can this really be the case? Like, am I seeing something? Right? Did the, you know, the the mushrooms in our falafel salad, were they the wrong mushrooms? I know Mary said it this morning, but really? Right, can I really get my hopes up again? I don't think I could stand another shattering disappointment. I can't stand another good Friday happening again. Another holy Saturday sitting upstairs depressed in despair because God is dead. Notice what happens as Jesus draws near to them. Their emotions start to shift. They go from a people in a room filled with fear to a people that are experiencing joy. 
right? They see him. They take him in, and then they're like, you're really alive, Jesus. And with their hope grounded in his actual resurrected body, their joy allows them to hope again. But this isn't actually the end of the Easter story. Because he's one of the disciples, a guy named Thomas, he's not there. Now, we don't exactly know where Thomas was. I sort of imagine him like, he's like, oh, fine, I'll go shopping tonight, you know. And he goes and grabs the falafel and gets all the stuff and he shows up. And all the disciples are so excited. They're smiling, they're laughing, they're dancing, whatever they're doing. Thomas gets back from the store. He notices the door isn't locked anymore. He doesn't have to knock. Like, it's unlocked. He just opens it up. Right? And the room isn't filled with this suffocating sense of fear. His friends tell him, just like Mary did earlier in the morning, Jesus is actually raised from the dead. And they expect him, right, to get into that joy and hope, conga line around the room, like, woo! On Easter Sunday, this is what Thomas says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. On Easter Sunday, right, Thomas's hopes have been dashed. And he says to them, you know, guys, honestly, I'm not going to jump right back on that hope train just because you tell me you saw Jesus. Let's be honest, guys. You didn't get all that hopeful when Mary told you. Why do you expect something different from me? I appreciate Thomas, right? He doesn't just pretend. He doesn't just be like, awesome. He wants to see and touch Jesus. Right? He wants to ground his hope in Jesus. My guess is that some of us can relate to Thomas. We want to trust God in this season. We want to hope again. But for some of us, I think it kind of feels like maybe our hoper is broken. Maybe we're feeling a little bit of hope fatigue. For Thomas, this goes on for a week. And John doesn't give us a clue about how Thomas does during this week. Is he grumpy? Is he thoughtful? Right? Does he hide in his room alone, afraid? We don't know. What we do know is a week later, in the evening, the doors are locked again. Maybe Thomas, you know, everyone else is like, yeah, and Thomas sort of walks up to the door of the deadlock and he's like, Kuh. and that night, Jesus appears again. This time, Thomas is there. This is how John tells the story in verses 26 to 28. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he looks 
at Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting. Believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Just like on Easter Sunday, Jesus greets the group with his presence and a word of peace. And then he turns directly to Thomas. Now you see, Thomas, you said you wanted to touch, touch. Here I am. I want you to notice something really important here. Even though Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up, all the disciples get to see him, even though Thomas wasn't there. When Thomas shows back up, right, Jesus has left, everyone's excited, and he expresses his doubting lines. Jesus was with him. Did you notice that? That's how Jesus is able to repeat back verbatim what Thomas said to the other disciples. Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, I heard you. You said you wouldn't believe unless you touched my side. Here I am. You said you wouldn't believe unless you touched the holes in my hands. Here they are. Notice that Jesus isn't mad. Notice that he doesn't withdraw from Thomas. He doesn't shame him. He actually moves towards him in his doubt, in his fear, with his fragile little hope. He meets Thomas. And I think there's something for us here too. Right In those moments in the, this year, right, when we were mad at the government's inaction or action, all those moments when we felt afraid and anxious, all those moments when you felt your hope withering, Jesus was there, even if you didn't know it. The resurrected Jesus was with you, not judging you, but present. And however you come into this room today, however you are, wherever you are. He is with you this Easter morning. As I read this story, I find it intriguing. John doesn't tell us what Thomas does. You notice that? Does he like, does he actually touch him? Does he not? But we do know what Thomas does after Thomas, the doubter, utters maybe one of the most profound confessions in the entire New Testament. He says, my Lord and my God, right? That Jesus is his Lord and his King. That Thomas is a subject in Jesus' kingdom. Right? That Jesus is his God. The one who deserves all worship and all praise. He's not just alive. He is Lord and God alive. 
And you notice it's my Lord. This isn't just an abstract theological thing that he learned in kid, you know, in, in preschool. He's like, my Lord, my God. Thomas, in the midst of his doubt, in the presence of Jesus, sees Jesus for who he really is. Lord and God. In the midst of unwillingness to hope in Jesus, Jesus draws near. And through the encounter, Thomas and the other disciples embrace hope again. When I was talking to Angie Pack a few weeks ago, she said something also about Thomas. And I've, we've recorded it and just want to play it now. During John 20, I identified deeply with Thomas, who wants irrefutable proof that Jesus has been risen from the dead. He doesn't want to open his broken heart to hope, hope that his Messiah and cherished friend might not have really been crucified. It feels costly to hope when you've already hoped and those hopes have been crushed in the worst way imaginable. Prove to me that I can hope because without it, I refuse to allow myself to have my dreams dashed again. And Jesus, like he does, meets Thomas where he's at, in the middle of his pain and his stubbornness to choose hope until he can be sure he's not going to be heartbroken again. He allows Thomas to gain certainty that his hope is founded and gives him the freedom to hope again. Um, I just appreciate what Angie says. She says, gives him freedom to hope again, right? As I approached this Easter, I, I, if I'm honest, I felt this pressure to be hopeful. Like, Tony, kind of get your act together. Be standing on stage. Like, you better be hopeful. But the truth is, right, sometimes on Easter, I feel a bit like Thomas. And I realized this Easter, you know, maybe that's okay. Right? Easter is not about my ability to muster up an emotional experience. Easter is not about, you know, bunnies or candy or upbeat songs. Easter is about the power of God to bring life. Easter is about the power of God to bring hope. Beginning with a dead man in a tomb and then leading to individual lives transformed, and then communities. You see, Easter is as much about an empty tomb as it is about the risen Jesus bringing hope into the world. Easter is not, in the end, about our ability to muster up hope. It is about God's life-giving power and presence to bring hope into our lives, into our world, even when we do not feel it. Even when we are locked in a room by ourselves, afraid. That is the Easter story. Having lived in a pandemic for the last year, I think we get the idea of how something spreads, do we not? It starts small, right? and then it goes everywhere. 
And honestly, the resurrection sort of functions like this too. Jesus' resurrection, though, is about spreading life and hope. Jesus is raised from the grave. And the hope of his resurrection, right, it spreads to a few women and then a few disciples and then Thomas. And then the news of Jesus' resurrection spreads even more. Others start to experience the life-giving hope, the life-giving power of God as they go about their daily lives. And what we see is that within decades, the followers of Jesus have experienced this life-giving power, this hope that gives buoyancy even in the most difficult times, and it spreads around the globe. And as the hope of Jesus' life and resurrection hope spreads, it points to an even bigger reality. John, who was in that upper room afraid, the one who I've been quoting from the gospel, he also writes later on, he's basically uh, marooned on an island called Patmos, and he writes this book called Revelation, and in it he shares a vision he has. He sees this new heaven and this new earth and Jesus is coming to earth saying, Behold, I will make all things new. And what this means is that Jesus' resurrection is only the beginning of the new life and hope that God will bring. One day, just as God brings life to Jesus' dead body in a tomb that first Easter, just as he brings hope to individuals on that same Easter Sunday. He will come and bring hope and life to all things. Removing illness, removing evil, and removing injustice from our world forever. So that all things can enjoy the peace that Jesus speaks about on that first Easter morning. You see, Easter isn't about us stoking the fire of our hope. And we've spent a lot of time this last year, at least I have, outside stoking fires. Right? Who hasn't at some point this year in a backyard environment had someone over and you're just like playing with the fire trying to keep it going? And if you do a bad job and it dies, out, someone gets smoke in the face for like 20 minutes, and then you're washing all your clothes and it's terrible, right? But the point is, Easter isn't like that. Easter is not about us stoking the fire of our hope. It's not about the disciples nurturing their hope. It's about God bringing hope to them. It's about Jesus being raised from the grave and surprising all the fearful and full of doubt disciples like us. But this is the thing. I think over the last year, as I've been thinking about it at least, I, I think it's really tempting to actually hang a lot of our hope 
on all kinds of things other than Jesus. Other than the hoping presence of God. We've turned to the media to give us hope. We've turned to the government to give us hope. We have turned to social media likes to give us hope. And time after time, we've been disappointed. And some of us have even turned to God in the midst of it and been like, God, you know, who hasn't prayed in this last year? God, end this pandemic, bring unity, healing, and justice to our nation. And yet, we say to God, you know, are you listening? And yet Easter, I think, speaks into this very reality. Right? The disciples had all kinds of hopes that were shattered on Good Friday. And while this is obviously hard for them, it's also true that their shattered hopes set the stage for Easter morning. That while disciples thought God was dead, God rose from the grave. That the disciples' expectations and prayers were not, in fact, in line with the purposes of God. Is God listening? Yes! That is why God takes on human form in the person of Jesus and dies on a cross for the world. Is God listening? Yeah. When Thomas expresses his doubts, fears, and hopelessness, the risen Jesus is, Jesus is with him, hearing every word. I love uh, Angie in this video and what, just her honesty in this. Let's take a look. in this season. As I reflected on my own battle to choose or not choose hope, I realized that I've made the mistake of pinning hope on the wrong thing. I thought that hope rests on lowering cases and death rates and increased vaccination numbers. Hope is the red tier and then the orange tier and then the yellow tier. But hope has actually been mine all along. And like Jesus with Thomas, we are given hope that is certain. It's not dependent on case numbers or vaccines or tier systems or the government. Hope is in Jesus' strength to get us through any circumstance. Hope is the sure knowledge that whatever happens to our businesses, our children's educations, our health or our economy, that our eternal future in Jesus' kingdom is permanently and forever secure. That he is with us, drawing near to us, even in our fears and doubts. What What I appreciate about Angie's honesty there like, who hasn't in this last year hung our hope on something other than Jesus? Who hasn't experienced that disappointment? And yet what's so clear from Easter is that Jesus is hope. And that when we're with him, right, the surprising hope of God surfaces, turning our fear into joy, our doubt into hope. Applied this Easter morning, I think it means two things. First, I think it means this, no matter how fragile or robust your hope is this morning, Jesus wants to be with you wherever you are. 
what we see in these stories is God doesn't keep himself at arm's length from the fearful, the anxious, the stressed, the worried, the afraid. There's this great quote by Austin Fisher in Faith in the Shadows. He says this, People don't abandon faith because they have doubts. People abandon faith because they think they are not allowed to have doubts. If you come in to worship with us today, you have permission to have doubts. You have permission to have fear. You have permission to be anxious. Because the Lord that we follow welcomes us in. Hope, if your hope meter is a little bit low today, remember that God has not given up on you. If you look out at the world and you think, what is going on? No, Jesus has not given up on the world. In fact, he's listening. He is present. And he might surprise you this morning, even if you are locked in a room this morning, afraid. Second, I also think on Easter, I want to invite us to actually make some hope adjustments. I want us to reground, actually, our hope in Jesus. Just really honest for a second. There is no Fox News broadcast. There is no NBC broadcast. There is no Atlantic article or favorite blogger that will bring you lasting hope. The orange tier is not going to solve all of our problems, nor will herd immunity, nor will a new uh, new elected officials. This Easter, I think we need to remember again that Jesus is hope. Right? This is the testimony of Easter morning. And the litmus test is not whether or not, like a good Sunday school student, we can say, what happened on Easter? Jesus was raised from the grave. The litmus test of whether we truly understand the message of Easter is whether we then continue to put our hope in Jesus versus other things. We remember today, as we celebrate Easter, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And as we enter worship, and I invite the worship team back up, as they come back up here, I'm going to take a moment just to pray, and I want to actually give us an opportunity to reground our hope in Jesus this Easter morning. So however you come in the room, however you're watching, I want to give you an opportunity today to say, all right, in the midst of all the crazy, in the midst of all the ways this last year that I got lost, hung my hope on the wrong things this morning as we interrupt. I just want to invite you. If you feel like, you know, you want Jesus to be your hope this morning, 
as I pray, I just invite you to just put your hand on a chest as, as a way of saying, God, I want you to fill my heart with hope. In a world where we can reach out and grab hope, you know, on social media, we can grab it on the, in the news cycle, we can ground it in so many ways, we want to say and create a space in this community where we say on a Sunday morning like Easter, now Jesus, I, I put it in you. So God, we come to you this morning knowing that you and nothing else will satisfy. That you, risen Jesus, are our hope. In a world of fear and anxiety and stress and worry, after a year of so much turmoil and anger and frustration, God, we say you and you alone are the living hope of this world. God, come, meet us just as you did the disciples in our cynicism, in our skepticism, with our fragile hope in our hands. God, we say, come, meet us, bring us your peace that we might enjoy your resurrection. Come, Lord.